And now, the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. Yes, welcome into episode five of season one of the Houston Football Show. I'm Jason Braddock. Along with me, it's Aaron Wilson, Pro Football Network's NFL insider, and also locally here in uh, the greater Houston, Texans insider for KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790, a busy man, Aaron Wilson. How are you doing tonight, Aaron? Doing great. Thank you. How are you, Jason? Uh, very well. Also got Jonathan Danger Cole, Mark Larson, CEOs over there running iLogic Media, producing the show. Glad to have them along with us, making us sound good. Trying to make us sound professional tonight, but I don't mess it up. But we're going to jump right into it. Got a lot to get to. We're going to have Jim Nagy, uh, Executive Director, Reese's Senior Bowl, 18-year NFL scout, Breaking down his evaluations of the Texans picks the last two years, Davis Mill, Damian Pierce, and all of that. But before we get into the show, uh, you know, we have to start with some somber news. And I've met the man a few times, had a couple interactions. Most of the time we talked about Clemson, where he went to. And I have to talk about the the sad news about Jamie Roos. Aaron, you knew him uh, better than I did. Um, Tell us about what Jamie Roos meant to the organization and the city of Houston. Right. Yeah, Jamie was really the glue of the organization, especially their business operations and their philanthropic efforts for a long time. And he was someone that had joined them, one of Bob McNair's first hires, and a really important hire because he's in charge of the branding, in charge of all of the corporate things, selling the suites, selling the tickets, everything that's not the game on the field. And uniforms, all of these things that you could think that would touch him. And he would be really immersed in so many details, if you think about it. So you have to have connections with the politicians. You might have to have connections with, well, what celebrities are you inviting to the game? You know, is Bun B coming? Or who is, uh, you know, is, is Paul Wall? Or, you know, so which pitchers from the Astros? Or how are you going to have soccer? all these things that happened under his watch. So he did a lot of great things. And yes, the team didn't always win, but they had a nice professional product. You know, the stadium was in good shape for the most part. I mean, they eventually imp improved the turf and that, that's kind of old news. At one point, you know, they did have some issues with it, but it got better. He was involved with the stadium authority. So that involves you right. with concerts, with everything you could think of, and then raised a lot of money for charity after Hurricane Harvey, was on the Greater COVID-19 Relief Committee, was really involved with the United Way. So he did a lot of good works, and he's also a good businessman. And that's hard when I think of him. He is a salesman's salesman. And ultimately, you know, it ran its course, and it was time for him to go, and then they promoted Greg Grissom. I think he's doing a great job as they try to sell – you know, really a rebranded, rebuilding sure. franchise and sell hope. And they're being very honest and they've cut prices and they're, you know, doing it differently. And for Jamie, you know, he got a job with the Dash Dynamo. He was going to be CEO, but then they changed ownership groups. So he got bought out. And I think, you know, as his wife alluded to by putting in 
you know, the suicide hotline, you know, that's what we're talking about here. And she mentioned mental health issues. And, you know, I don't want to betray any confidences, but I would say, Jason, you never know what someone else is going through. So true. And he was going through a lot. And it's my understanding that a lot of people had urged him to seek help and wanted him to, but as illogical sometimes as, you know, what we're talking about here, you know, taking your own life, all those things, and everyone has their opinions, but they don't know what it's like to be him. And when you are dealing with a mental health issue, it may not be logical because right. it, by its very nature, you're a bit off, you know, you're, you're not at your best. You're not your best self. So, you know, right. And you don't a lot. Of, absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, with, um, with mental health issues, a lot of times you don't control your mind. So right. things where you're like, well, why, why are you depressed? Why don't you just go do something to make you happy? And it doesn't work that way. Uh, just sure. to put up. Yeah. That's the yeah, people that yeah. say things like that, but it's insensitive. So it is. I, I would say the biggest thing the takeaway from being around Cal McNair, Hannah McNair, and Greg Grissom and other employees mm. of the team today that knew and really were friends and almost like family with Jamie. Right. And we're with him for 20 years. My condolences to them. And you could just Absolutely. see they were really hurting. Oh, uh, they were. It was sincere. Verge yeah. of tears. And it was an emotional moment being there with him. And I felt really, you know, just last night. I'm trying to write this story and, and do my job. And, you know, you don't really put a lot of, you know, when you're writing something like that, you just have to write it as straight news. This has happened. Here's the statements. This is his yeah. life. It's like kind of like a little obit, really. And you, it's frustrating because it's emotional. You're trying to type fast and you're just not, you know, like it's jarring because yeah, it, this it, it becomes real. real. Is dead. They're never yeah, coming that, back. It's a human element to it. A lot, a lot of time in sports, we get away from that human element, especially uh, with players, but also front office coaches, all of that. Everyone has that human element. And so I, I guess if we just give a little bit, learn from this and give a little bit more empathy and just to find, put a bow on this as we move on uh, here, here in this episode, um, what I would say is that w this world has become a little bit too easy to share negative, uh, negative thoughts, negative words on social media. And, uh, you know, most of the things on social media is negative. So uh, I think we need to get back to being more positive. And sometimes, you know, it may make people feel awkward, uncomfortable, but don't take words to the graves. There's so many people speaking glowingly of Jamie Roots today. Uh, and and how could that possibly change if, there, if we were all speaking this glowingly of them more recently leading up to this? And I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I guess we learn for this, move forward, and let's share positive words more than negative. Yeah, now, move, yeah, one hundred percent, Aaron. Now, and, and more positive news: uh, someone that did have some real health issues and uh, still battling through it. Uh, was uplifting to the team today as he returned uh, returned to the facilities when I was, was out there at practice. Tell us a little bit more about this. Right. John Mechie III, the rookie wide receiver that's battling a curable form of leukemia, is in a you know, serious health battle, a fight of his life. And his outlook is good. His spirits are positive. And for him to be out there on that field, he was carrying around. I think he had a couple of uh, – 
water and it's a sports drink because hydration is very important when you're dealing with treatment for leukemia. And so he's out there and I mean, a lot of hugs, a lot of handshakes, a lot of high fives and just a lot of talking because a lot of those guys hadn't been around him and had a chance to see him. So to watch, and there was a really good video from the Texans where you could really see it up close the interactions and what it was like with him with Seth Green, what it was like with him with Brandon Cooks and Chris Conley. Absolutely. And you just you could see the emotions and it was a real special moment. And you know, it was here's a guy dealing with a very serious health crisis and his attitude is really good and you could see it and I thought it was very uplifting to see that from him, very courageous, very brave young man and he'd already overcome this torn ACL last year in the SEC championship and he's playing for Alabama. Now, you know, I can't wait to see him play next year and see what this comeback is going to be like. Absolutely. I'm very confident. I'm very hopeful. And, uh, you know, I pray that he beats it. That's more important than football, mm-hmm. but it would be amazing to watch him play. And he's actually a very talented slot wide receiver that I think could do a lot of great things for the organization in the future. Yeah. But right now he's just got to take care of himself, and that's what the, all the focus is and all the thoughts and prayers with John Mechie. Yeah, 100 percent. And, uh, you know, I'll speak with Jim Nagy a little bit later on this episode. And one of the guys I asked about, I talked to him about the rookies and what him and the senior bowl staffs evals and thought were on these rookies pre-draft and also the second year guys. And we mentioned John Mechie of what Texans fans can expect from this young man. I think they'll be happy and maybe a, a bit surprised uh, by what Jim Nagy thought about John Mechie. Now, getting more into football and uh, some really Exciting news, X's and O's, why I guess are on fields probably better stated. Damian Pierce, we've raved about him the entire offseason. We've raved about him all camp. And now you have the head coach, Lovey Smith, raving about Damian Pierce. Hit us with the latest on Pierce as we go into this final preseason game. Lovey Smith, and it wasn't really a revelation, but it was him acknowledging and echoing the same things that everyone's been watching and talking about. And, you know, when we asked him about Damien, he said, this is my question, ironically. He said, we've seen everything you need to see from a good running back. He can catch the ball. He can run in between tackles and make you miss in the open field. Pads down low. There's a lot of things to like about Damien. Right. And then he expanded on that. And he starts talking about the signs that he could do it. Then they liked what he was like in pads. And then you see what he's like live action. And this was the takeaway comment. We've liked him every step along the way. Nice. And then another very important comment. I'm not sure who asked. What do the rest of the running backs in the room need to do to set themselves apart? Two words. Play better. <laughs> he made it very clear without ripping them that right. that, that Damien, I, I mean, and this hasn't been decided, I believe, Right. It would not surprise me if he does not play in this game, Jason. Really? Okay. Yes. So that's I was just I was... that's being contemplated that okay. he may not need to play in the game. 
Well, I don't think he needs to. I would like to see him personally get chemistry, but I know where you're coming from. Like, let Davis Mills have some reps in game with Damian Pierce with the one offensive line unit. But you're saying uh, there's a chance that they shut him down for the last two preseason games, something that they're I not see even no doing. Point in playing him, Laramie Tunsil, Brandon Cooks. I, I think if you want them to play a little bit, let him play. And I think Davis almost needs to play more. Right, right. Because uh, I thought that was rough last week. But I just don't see what the upside for a Tunsil or a Cooks to play preseason football. And it wouldn't surprise me if a few guys like that were selectively held out. We are going to see for the first time in the NFL in a game, Kenyon Green. First round nice. draft pick, Texas A&M, Atascacita High School, former blue chip recruit, former All-American, and All-SEC blocker. Big guy, over the concussion, no more symptoms, gets to test out the knee. I'm told the knee is fine now and had that LCL surgery, and that was the offseason. So now we see the big fella, the big rook, get out there. It's going to be with the second team. I believe they're going to start – Justin McCray, based on what we've been seeing in practice. Right. And we'll see how they go forward, Jason. But very excited to see him. And he may rush against some player that we know a lot is Charles Omenehu for the 49ers. Oh, nice. Great point. And so we'll see him against a very quick but lean inside rusher. Charles is about 268 to 270 pounds right now. So he's gotten much leaner. So he's really quick right now. Right. And I talked with him recently and he told me, he said, Hey, I'm ready. So we're going to see Omenahu, who's in a contract year out there in all likelihood matched up against the Texans top rookie draft pick offensive lineman. And then uh, Charles, of course, a Longhorn, Longhorns against the Aggies. So nice. And And you bring it full circle back to Texas. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the matchup just because, you know, because I know Chuck and, and, you know, he obviously wanted out of here and they granted his wish and they trade him to a great organization. Yeah, 100%. Great organization and somebody they're familiar with, with the head coach and the D coordinator and Kyle Shanahan and D'Amico Ryans. Now, you brought up Kenyon Green, uh, and I know you mentioned that you would rest Tunsil and maybe Brett, some of these other guys. Uh, let me give you a thought process before we move on. Uh, do you think there is a chance that maybe they get Tunsil and Brett in there as kind of bumpers with Kenyon Green? To, to try to build at least a little bit of chemistry, maybe a series or so. So Kenyon's out there with the, at least the guys he's going to play next to uh, once he gets up to the ones. And as far as that, as an add-on to that, Aaron, during that 17-day break from the last preseason game to the first game of the season, uh, that's two-and-a-half-week span. Is there still enough time to get a little bit more polish out of Kenyon for an outside shot for him to start week one? Or, or is that just a pipe dream? Aaron, do we do we still have Aaron or did we lose him for a second? All right. So, yeah, so we lost Aaron for a second. Apologies for the tef- technical difficulties, but we've got Aaron back now. So uh, let me uh, reposition that question again for you, Aaron. What I was saying, Aaron, is that I know you because you brought up Kenyon Green, you're talking about him. I know you mentioned that Laramie Tunsil and Justin Britt. Um, 
you know, it might be some guys that sit out, but is there a, is there a chance that maybe at least on that left side of the line that we see Kenyon Green get in uh, with a few reps, maybe a series or so with Tunsil and Britt as bumpers next to him? And as a continuation on that question, there's a 17-day break after their last preseason game Thursday and the first game of the regular season. Two-and-a-half-week time to still develop and get the conditioning right. Could Kenyon Green, is there still an outside shot that they could get him polished up enough for week one to start, or is that just a pipe dream? No, I think it's legitimate that he could be the guy still. You're, really, your other option is not so much just Max Sharping, but it's Justin McCray. And you drafted him for a reason. The idea, once he's out there, you want him to stay out there. So right. if they feel okay with him physically and from a conditioning standpoint, you can get him out there. So, no, it wouldn't surprise me if he played against the Colts. I think that's going to be the mission is to get him ready. But he's got to get through this game, pass that test, check that box, and look good in this game. If he struggles, if there's some rookie moments and shows them that, hey, we need to take more time with him, then they'll take more time with him. It's not so no, much don't. about him playing against the Colts. It's about him playing here for the next five years. All right, you're listening to the Houston Football Show by Inside Edge. We're going to take a quick break here and listen from our title sponsors, the Inside Edge. Uh, quick word from them, and we'll be right back with the rest of the program. For our listeners looking for an extra edge, we are excited to share a tool with you that our team uses here at the Houston Football Show. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can access for free matchup-specific insights and projections to help make informed bets and build winning fantasy lineups. The insights are endless. You'll have access to game matchup notes, player props, leaderboards, player ratings, and much more. The real goldmine, though, is Inside Edge's five-star picks. During the 2021 NFL season, their five-star picks were wildly successful. They were 34-14 and 14 against the spread, a 70.8% success rate. Access to the five-star picks is only $20 per pick, or get the deal of a lifetime Every five-star pick for the entire year for just $149. What's more, our listeners can save 10% off this access by using code HOUSTON. That's code HOUSTON at Inside Edge. All right, we're back now here on the Houston Football Show by Inside Edge. Jason Braddock, Aaron Wilson, Jonathan Dangerco, and Mark Larson behind the glass, so to speak. Uh, we're ready to play a game that is sweeping the nation called Cut or Keep. All right, not really a game show, but what I'm going to do here, name explains it all, Cut or Keep. I'm going to run through about seven guys here, give each one to Aaron, and he's going to let us know what his thought process is now and if he believes they're going to cut or keep. These players starting off, second-round pick from just a couple years ago, big year three for him. What's the latest on Bla Ross Blacklock, and is he a cut or a keep, Aaron? Well, he's injured, so they have some options there. He's not going to play in the game. He has a groin injury, and I don't know how long it would sideline him for, but it's long enough that he has to miss this game. And there's some other players, on, I'm not ready to report it yet, that are going to miss this game due to an injury oh, wow. that are Intriguing. not on the injury report. Yeah, a little, little tease there. Uh, nice. I'm able to, I'm able to report me, this information tomorrow. 
uh, and uh, it may involve uh, the third phase of the game. So we'll, we'll see. There could even be a personnel move coming. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to leave a little cliffhanger there. But, yeah, I like what it. we expect to happen with Ross is they will have some options. They could let him get healthy. They could move on from him, wave injured him, and then have him on injured reserve. And then they have some options if they want to reach an injury settlement or if they want to try to activate him later. To me, because he has some talent, and I understand that there's a lack of you know, kind of patience is over in terms of a section of the fan base and some of the press. Right. I still think there's value in get, in having him because he can play and having him back later in the season. So it's just how pragmatic do they want to be with this? Or could That's you trade him? I don't yeah, think he's no. an injured player. No one's going to pass a guy with a groin pull on the physical. So to me, the move is this. Injured reserve. Nice. And you wait. And yeah, you because now, now with the injured reserve games, and yeah, then exactly. What if you have an injury at defensive tackle, or what if you want to keep on injured reserve longer, and then you've got this ace in the hole that is on a rookie contract. Nice. This one right. a second round draft pick for reasons. So that's my opinion. I don't know how they're going to carry it, because if they want to, they can move on. But I think oh, so you're taking door number three here, cut IR. or keep or IR. And like you said, um, you brought up a great point to where they could bring him back. At, once you're placed on IR, four games have to pass. Remember, and they were bringing a back. about him at the start of camp. They were. They were. And, it's, and, and if there's a growing pull, a I'm, I'm curious how long. He had those penalties, but he was also getting in the backfield. He only has a couple of tackles, but he's disruptive. He's getting in there. But he's been outplayed by Heinish. That's true. Kurt Heinrich has played better. I think you can make the argument that Michael Dwarmforce played a little bit better, more consistent. True. But the and upside Hooker. is still there with Ross. He's more talented than both those guys. So they have a decision to make. I think they're going to want to having Heinrich on the active roster. Right. And Ross on the injured reserve and probably have to numbers game, not keep, be able to keep Dwarmforce. Uh, and other players, but I think that's the best solution, Aaron. I mean, I um, now with the injury, we're just finding out about this. You're reporting, uh, you know, you've been talking about the injury uh, here for a while as far as him not practicing the last two days. Uh, now to find this out, this is intrigue. Unless you have some personal vested interest where you're really emotionally invested into Ross Blacklock being a part of that DeAndre Hopkins trade and wanting Bill O'Brien to look yeah. bad or whatever. Uh, this makes the most sense. If he's not healthy and because of the Ricky contract and the talent you have at D-Tackle, yeah, the, if the IR is a route, you can bring back eight guys from IR this year. And like Aaron mentioned, that they only have to miss four games. So maybe a guy or two gets injured in those first quarter of the season. You have Ross Blacklock as an added fifth, sixth member of that D-Tackle group. I think it's an excellent point. Let's move on to another uh, member of the second round pick club. Recent history here for the Houston Texans. Cut or keep Max Sharping? You know, Max is at a point now where you know, he's become something of a liability. You saw the play in the Rams game against Jonah Williams. He beat, gets beat on that spin move, and it just seems to happen too often. Right. And he's a, he's not just one regime ago. He's two regimes ago. He's Brian Gaines' draft pick. Great point. I think that they could afford to move on. 
and go with Justin McCray, who can back up at all three interior spots. Yeah. And if you think Kenyon's ready, then it's time. If you don't think Kenyon's ready, then you buy more time and you have Max on the team longer. But that's a decision they've got to make. And what they do with him will be very telling in how they feel about Kenyon Green. Nice. All right. Yeah, great note. Uh, reading the tea leaves there on the Max Sharpen move of cut and keep. Next member of cut, cut or keep. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone talking about cutting him, so it might come as a surprise. For me, it wouldn't surprise me. And I think they would have to go outside the building to get somebody uh, to be able to cut him. But do you see a case in cut or keep for Marlon Mack? I'd be a little surprised because what you'd have to do with him is, you know, what if you were going to look at, say, like a Kenyon Drake or one of the other backs that's out there that you're just plugging in a different running back. They've put a lot of time and resources into him. He didn't look that bad. He did have an eight-yard run. I think he's starting to get better and better. Mm-hmm. And do I think he's getting to a point where he's going to be a 100-yard rusher? No, but I think you could see him getting you 40, 50 yards and then maybe – Damian Pierce is getting you 80 to 100 yards, so I think he can compliment him. But ideally what he should be is backing up Damian Pierce, not be the primary running back. Oh, yeah, 100%, absolutely. All right, now the Texans drafted offensive tackle uh, Austin Deculus in this past draft class, came into camp at some points that looked like he was repping behind undrafted free agent Myron Cunningham, who has since been cut. But before Cunningham was even cut, Deculus had passed him on the depth chart, and he seems like he keep pu- keeps pushing up. And I think because most teams want to keep about nine offensive linemen and with the questions at that left guard position, keeping McCray to rep all three interiors, keeping Scott Quesenberry to rep all three interior positions, that seems to make a little bit more sense than possibly a fifth tackle. And I don't think they would take Deculus and risk the draft pick uh, through waivers to get him to the practice squad. So does that make Cedric O'Brahe a cut or keep? I think he's right on that bubble, and because they've drafted Deculus, I could see them keeping Deculus instead of the veteran, right? And because they already have Charlie Heck, so yeah, I, I think Cedric, who's got a had a few injuries, uh, yep. has had some, you know, pretty significant injury history. I think you just start fresh with Deculus. 100%. I think that's where it's going to as well. I'm, I'm, I think I'm seeing that the same way you are. Uh, rookie tight end Tegan Quit. Quitty Orano, Aaron, I'm going to let you say his name in a second. I just, uh, I feel bad. I was joking earlier with Kim Davis that uh, when I went on her broadcast that uh, I messed up his name there as well. And I've got the the pronunciation guide right here, but me and Kim joked about until you make the 53, I don't have to get your name pr- pronounced right. <laughs> so uh, obviously tongue in cheek there, but not the part about him making the 53. We know about Anthony Arclair. Farrell Brown hasn't been practicing throughout team drills the last couple of days. Uh, Tegan hasn't been practicing throughout team drills. So we're seeing Mason Shrek and Seth Green getting reps with the ones while these guys miss actions. Arclair, you've talked about him coming back early in the part of the season. Is Tegan a guy that they're going to cut or keep? And I know he was a draft pick. You know, when I think about Tegan and where they're at with him, I would keep him. I think he's got upside. Unless something goes awry with his knee, and he's told me after the game, after he caught that touchdown, his knee is fine. He didn't practice today. I think they're resting him. 
And I would keep him. I think he's got upside. I don't think injured reserve makes sense, Jason. And I would go forward with Tegan, Farrell Brown, Brevin Jordan, and then you have to make a decision. Is it Mason Shrek? Are you going to keep Paul Quesenberry? Are you going to go with three tight ends? There you go. We got two more guys on cutter keep. Let's hit these guys. Younger guys here. Uh, Graylin Arnold uh, looks like he's 16 years old, but he plays like a grown man out there. A lot of position versatility. Cut or keep? I would keep him because he can do a few things. He can play nickel. He can play both safety spots. He can blitz. He's very good on special teams. He reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Owens, like where Jonathan was before he became a starter so now i foresee you know graylin kind of being on that track and okay awesome and and so with that let me ask you a guy that you you were really out uh early on and that you raved about i think it was about the first episode and he stepped up and showed your words to be correct before the injury uh tavier thomas um what are your expectations like do they roster him on 53 or is the injury going to be to the point that they might have to go the same path you're talking about blacklock maybe using one of those eight designated returns from ir spots you know i think they have a lot of options there. Okay. Jason. Yeah, I mean, they've got to figure it out. How how are they going to go about that? I, I think that's a fluid situation too. Okay. Uh, last one on cutter keep. Undrafted free agent linebacker Troy Hairstead. You know, Paul Quesenberry's there. Um, in the competition with Troy Harrison, they had Janovich. Janovich didn't look good, uh, thought he would get cut. He did get cut. So then you got Quesenberry and Harrison. And man, what I'm seeing from this kid, and I did, you know, I'll have Jim Nagy respond uh, to his thought on Troy Harrison uh, later in the show as well. But I'm intrigued by what I've seen here. But I guess the question comes down to cut or keep. Right. He's someone that I would keep. I think that he's proved that he's valuable on special teams and as a lead awesome. blocker, he can also handle the football when he needs to, and he can play defense if you absolutely had to. He could in a pinch. I think he could play linebacker, so he saves you some spots potentially. And I just feel like there's more upside, and he's also younger than Quesenberry and cheaper. So nice. yeah, I say keep Troy Harrison, and I did a 53 man roster projection, and I think they should keep him. Awesome. Yeah, I like the call there from Mayor, and I think Troy Harrison's definitely a guy they got to keep, too. Uh, hang around later, second half of the show, see what Jim Nagy had to say about him, Davis Mills, Nico Collins, Damian Pierce. I think you're going to love what Jim Nagy has to say, Texans fans, so we'll get to that. But before we let Aaron get out of here, we've got to talk about the excess of linebackers. Lovey Smith said in his presser today that on game day, he likes dressing a minimum of eight D linemen and a minimum of six linebackers. So it goes with when you talk about that 53-man projection and roster breakdown, it goes to how many of these linebackers you keep. You've got Kirko that's a starter, Kamu that's a starter, uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and then you got the younger guys in Garrett and uh, Christian Harris as well, Garrett Wallow and Christian Harris. So that leaves three. That's five right there. And, I, and if you disagree with those fives, let me know as well, Aaron. But outside of that, assuming we're on the same page with those five, um, that leaves three vet guys that have played well and have value 
value and one of them they traded for. How does this shake out? Neville Hewitt, Blake Cashman, Jalen Reeves, Maven. Do two of these guys make it? Do they cut two? How does it work out? Or is this a trade a position of power to where they could trade one of these guys? Did we lose Aaron? All right, I think Aaron uh, may have dropped out. We're right up against that halfway point of the show. We're going to go ahead and let Aaron go for this evening. But that is something I am looking. Lovey did mention that they love dress, dressing a minimum of eight defensive linemen, six linebackers. And with those top five guys, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Kirko, Christian Kirksey, Kamu Grugge here, Christian Harris, the rookie, and last year's rookie, Garrett Wallow, uh, they've raved about Wallow uh, before he got injured, and he doesn't look like he's too far away. That's five guys. Um, you, I think you're going to keep seven. You've got Neville Hewitt, Blake Cashman, Jalen Reeves, Maven, two of those guys. I, I think they probably keep two of those guys and keep seven of those linebackers just because there's so much talent there. But if they get someone who's down on linebackers looking for a player, then absolutely, you know, go from a position of power and, and trade those guys, continue to uh, acquire those assets for the future as you are in a rebuild. I, I do want to thank Aaron Wilson for joining us, you know, like he does every, every week uh, here on the Houston Football Show inside brought to you by inside edge aaron wilson jason braddock every week coming up after uh this quick break we're getting ready to take i have a live read from our title sponsor the houston football show and when we come back uh we're going to hear from jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's senior bowl 18-year nfl scout and he's going to break down the first and second year players from the houston texans but before we get to the jim Nagy interview uh let me take time out to talk to you about our sponsors here at the houston football show we use insights generated by the team at inside edge now these insights have been a real game changer in our game analysis like you hear us talk about or see me share on twitter uh at jason braddock you see me share these stats of Davis Mills being bottom 10 last year and quarterback rating to the left side and middle of the field, top 10, right side of the field, six interceptions and 49 attempts over the middle of the field, worse in the league, uh, 20 plus passes. Uh, passes of 20 plus quarterback right in top of the league to see these divides and how it really goes into mirroring film evaluation with the, the stats and seeing if they actually match up or going back to the film and see where they disagree. It really helps in that regard, but it also helps you uh, whether you're a fantasy football player, DFS player, or if you're one of those guys that's making the picks and trying to beat Vegas, because you heard on the commercial earlier last year, their five-star picks, they were 34 and 14 against the spread. That's a 71% success rate. And now fans have access to the same insights and analytics that are used by pro teams as inside edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for major league baseball clubs you think of moneyball it's the same thing with in our uh with inside edge but they bring it the major league baseball nfl uh the college game and all throughout the profession when you look at the top sites and the stats they're getting, their provider is Inside Edge. And now you as a fan can get that same insight for free at My Inside Edge. Now go to MyInsideEdge.com and you can also use 
code Houston for a 10% discount on your subscription at Inside Edge. Again, that's code Houston. All right, guys, we're back into the show now. We want to bring on the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl and 18-year NFL scout, Jim Nagy, to give us a personal evaluation on your first and second year player of the Houston Texans. So right now, let's, let's go ahead and bring on Jim Nagy. All right, we're back here on the Houston Football Show. Jason Braddock here with Jim Nagy, uh, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, 18-year NFL scout. So when we ask him about these Texans players, this is a guy that's been in there grinding the film on the road and now over the Reese's Senior Bowl where he's done a great job. Matter of fact, you have some news, Jim, uh, coming out tomorrow. Uh, Big news dropping tomorrow. I'll let you release it. Yeah, Jason, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we're uh, we're dropping our 10th annual Senior Bowl watch list tomorrow. So um, big day every year for us. We've been working on this list since last February, um, since a couple weeks after our game, actually. So we've been watching all the tape and finally got all the players graded. And uh, it's always a big day for us because it's, you know, it's it's fun watching uh, all the content being created by these great, uh, you know, graphics teams and video teams at the at the different schools around the country. So uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you bringing that up. We're excited about it. Awesome. And before we get into the Texans and breaking it down, uh, this is probably a little bit more on the personal side of um, um, me anyway, won't uh, understand it. But am I understanding this right? I believe I saw a tweet from you that you uh, have been bringing on NFL players, teaching them the scouting game and have them help with that senior bowl process. Yeah, yeah, we have. We've, uh, you know, before I got to the Senior Bowl, my predecessor, uh, Phil Savage, the uh, ex-GM of the Cleveland Browns, started the Scout School Initiative here. Um, I've continued that. It's a great program. The only thing we've we've changed up a little bit is that uh, I've just been opening it up to former NFL players for the past three or four nice. years. And, uh, you know, there's just such a need for it. All my time in the NFL, I just felt like there was a more need for, for former NFL players. And it hand in hand with that more minorities in the profession. And uh, so, yeah, we've, uh, you know, we've had the guys down for scout school in the summer. We bring them back for game week and they, uh, you know, serve a critical role for us during game week as group leaders, where they make sure all these players are getting where they need to get to and on time and on point. Um, But now we're going to involve them in our scouting process a little bit and kind of like an apprenticeship program where, uh, you know, our scouting staff this year is made up of nine former NFL scouts with, like 160, 170 years of NFL experience. We'll, we'll tie these guys together. We'll tether, we'll tether some of these former players with those guys and show them the ropes on the road, going to games in the fall and, and watching tape. And we'll, we'll, uh, you know, teach them how to write reports and uh, really trying to give them, uh, you know, some firsthand knowledge of the profession. That, that is awesome to hear. I know a couple guys uh, that either come through Houston or from Houston. Gerard Johnson uh, got his shot, uh, former A&M quarterback, before Tannehill. <laughs> you know, right there with Tannehill. When Tannehill was playing receiver, I'm sure you remember it all well. Uh, yeah. Got his shot. And bringing it back, Texans play the 49ers final preseason game this weekend, and their D coordinator. This was a guy you were scouting at the time. I'm curious what, uh, if you remember what your thoughts were on D'Amico Ryan's now D coordinator for the 49ers, his rookie season in Houston, even though Mario was the number one pick, they were calling D'Amico 33rd pick overall, first of the second round, cap right there uh, as a rookie there. Did you see that coach, in, uh, coach on the field type atmosphere from him? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did scout Gerard. I remember going to AM when he and Tannehill were there playing there together. I was nice. not scout, I did not scout Alabama when D'Amico came out. I was in the Midwest scouting for the Patriots at the time. 
So uh, I do remember talking about D'Amico. I was mostly over the Big Ten country uh, for the nice. Patriots during that time. But I do remember talking about D'Amico in meetings. And, we, you know, we really valued uh, football intelligence when I worked with the Patriots, which I'm sure Nick Casario uh, does there in Houston now, and just versatility. And, and uh, yeah, we thought, like, D'Amico would be a really great fit for what we, what we were doing up there. So it, it really comes as no surprise to, uh, you know, fast forward all these years and that, D'Amico's got himself in position to be an NFL head coach here soon. Well, let's get into some of these rookies on, on, and some of the second-year players as well. Wanted to bring on a guy that's actually done it. I love watching tape, love studying all this, but this is a guy that's been there, uh, Super Bowl champion. I mean, he's got the rings uh, on the wall, so to speak, and maybe is uh, literal as well. But so let's get right into it. we got to start with the quarterback, Davis Mills, drafting the third round last year. Pre-draft, what were your thoughts on him? And then Texans fans are going to want to know how high is this guy ceiling yeah I didn't do a ton of tape work on Davis just because he wasn't going to be senior bowl eligible when he came out um that being said I do I do have a good background with him because he actually trained for the draft process here in Mobile with uh David Morris at QB country so I've, I've went golfing with Davis before I've seen him throw a bunch um you know has all the tools has all the tools so it doesn't surprise me that uh you know, he looks the way he looks when he throws a football. But what you didn't know is for a young quarterback, how they're going to respond is especially considering, you know, the lack of, uh, you know, proven talent around him last year. I mean, really, it was it was uh, when you all things considered. I mean, it's it's incredible the level the guy played at. Um, right. So. So, no, I, there, there's got to be a lot of optimism um, in the building. Obviously, they they didn't address the position in the offseason. Uh, you know, with a challenger for Davis. So they, they feel good there in the building bottom, but has all the physical tools. I mean, that's that's evident for a guy that was a five-star coming out of high school and then just got banged up there at Stanford and didn't play a ton of football. So that's that's what made you hesitant as an evaluator was the guy hasn't played a lot of snaps in college. Now, how quickly is it going to take him to transition? And uh, again, what makes his transition so remarkable is that he did it so quickly last year with, uh, with the supporting cast that he had, like I said. Uh, awesome to hear on that. Now, a guy that he's going to be throwing that ball to, and he did as a rookie uh, there in that same class with him, Nico Collins. I'm curious about your thoughts on this, because for, for myself, when I was evaluating them coming out and watching them, my thought process was, all right, here's a guy that, you know, he's stumbling out of his routes a little bit, has a little bit of rawness to his game, but the physical tools were never in question. But my thought process was that he's got three years of NFL coaching there at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and the crew. Uh, and so I thought that may have limited his upside. But all he's done this year in camp since the first weekend is just light it up and get better every day. Is this what your expectations were? And did I read too much into the NFL coaching at Michigan? Um, well, I, I don't know. I, I can just speak to what we thought of Nico. Okay. Uh, he was one of our top receivers two years ago for the game. We had him in the second round. Uh, you guys ended up going to get him in the third round. Oh, wow. Y'all um, had a second. Nice. Yeah, we had him in the second. You know, you, you did his underclassman tape, and he was about 230 pounds, a little, you know, in the high 220s. And then he went back there. He dropped weight his senior year. He really trimmed up. Um, looked twitchier. Was get Like you said, he was getting in and out of breaks better. Um, I always judge big, big receivers as whether they can run a comeback route or not. Um, oh, nice. Nice nugget. Nico's ability to drop his weight and, and, and get out was uh, impressive to me. 
Uh, really good catch radius. Did, had a good week down here. Beat a lot, a lot of good people in one-on-ones. Uh, was able to get off press all week, which you don't see college guys do a lot. You don't you don't see guys pressed up unless you're in the SEC playing LSU and Alabama a bunch. So um, no, it doesn't surprise me if Nico. You know, I know he was he was nicked up at times. If he can get over that stuff and stay healthy, uh, he's a legit NFL starting receiver. So. Um, again, just going back to our grades, we, we had high grades on him from his junior year raised. We, I think we had a third on him off junior tape. I think we raised him to a second, uh, for his senior year. So, um, really doesn't surprise me. I'm just, I'm just happy he's at where he's at because, uh, uh, we always thought he'd be a good player at the next level. Uh, that's great. The new, uh, great, that's great news to hear. I know a lot of, a lot of Texans fans going to be excited to hear about the uh, senior bowl and yourself uh, having that second round grade on them. Texans finding that value there in the third round. Another guy, I believe they found value in from that same draft class. And another guy that'll be catching passes from Davis Mills here in year two again is Brevin Jordan. I thought he was more of a day two value. They got him there in the fifth. Did you think this was more of a steal or did you see some of the areas that led to him slide into the fifth round? Uh, yeah, another guy that, that wasn't senior bowl eligible, but I did some work on him for uh, my work at ESPN. You know, I think what Herb Brevin was, was the testing stuff. I don't think he, I don't think he ran particularly well at his pro day. So I think that that probably forced him to drop, but uh no, a good player, a guy that did some things after the catch at Miami. But, uh, yeah, to hear where he's at right now, uh, it looks like that's going to end up being a heck of a fifth-round pick. Awesome. Let's let's stay on the offensive side, but go to the rookie class a little bit. Guy that's got some bad news. He was out at practice today. Uh, really lifted up the teammates. Seeing John Mechie the third, the rookie back out there after the diagnosis. Uh, we just hope that he comes back healthy beats this and is able to come back because that, that's priority number one. But on the football side of it and the fans that were looking forward to seeing Mechie in his rookie season, it's only a year delayed. What what should they be expecting to see with Mechie in this offense now with the excitement behind not only Brandon Cooks, but Nico Collins as well? Yeah, I love I love the pick. Um, love the Mechie pick. Got to know John a little bit before uh, – Again, not a senior bowl guy. I came out as a junior, met him the summer before his senior year at a camp out in, in California. Uh, love his mentality. He's, uh, you know, he kind of plays with the defensive mentality. I know they're, they they tinker with playing him at safety there at Alabama. And he really? kind of played, yeah, he kind of plays the position that way. I know he played some DB. He told me he played some DB in high school and a lot of schools were, were recruiting him to play DB. So, um, no, we, I think he's a starter. I think he's an NFL starter. We had him in the second round as well. Uh, we did more work on him because there was a thought that maybe John would graduate by December and thus make him eligible for the Senior Bowl. So we did a lot of work, and I saw Bama play a bunch just living here in the state. I uh, saw them play live quite a bit. So, uh, again, a guy that can get it in and out of breaks and separate um, and really tough with the ball in his hands, good quickness, uh, good toughness, competitor, uh, really a guy that I felt like could play inside or outside and get open and be effective. So, uh, versatile player. If he can get healthy again, that's another guy that can make plays. Um, I thought he was better than than a number of the receivers that that got drafted ahead of him in the, ahead of him in this year's draft. Oh wow! And that's what Mechie Texans moving up, trading up to get Mechie there in that second round. And there you hear from Jim uh, Nagy, executive director of Reese's Senior Bowl, 18-year NFL scout, and uh, felt like there was guys taken ahead of him that uh, Mechie had more value. That that's a great nugget to hear as well. I want to uh, stay on the offense still. 
But at the running back position, rookie Damian Pierce, he's got all the fans excited. I think what blew me away and really opened my eyes while watching him was the Georgia game, like the NFL's 33rd defense last year, and Pierce was still gashing them. If you were to pinpoint his top three skills, I just want to limit the three. What would what would be the three skills that you 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 got to give an elevator pitch to a GM on a team? And what are those three skills that you're selling them on? I would say uh, burst, contact balance, and toughness. Uh, the guy, he was our favorite here in the office going back to the spring of 2021. Uh, I think we started Wait, fa- favorite by favorite by how, by what means. He was our he was our top rated running back wow. um, since the spring of his junior year, and and again it's on record, so I'm not BSing you now. No, no, no. I, I I know people will go out there and verify it, but that's that's I mean that's just really exciting news to hear uh, that you had him as the top back uh, on y'all's board there. So that uh, I, yeah, I think... we had we had he and Brian Robinson from Alabama graded uh, at the same level for our game, and again he's it's not revisionist history. You can go on Twitter and check. Deck. Um, no, he's, he's, he's an easy guy to like, he's an NFL back. Um, he's an NFL starting back. He, he can condense his pads. He runs behind his pads, uh, really good in pass pro, which he showed down here. I mean, the coaches down here, uh, I believe it was the Lions staff. I mean, they called these guys out at the end of every practice and they did some one-on-one pass pro stuff and, and Damien stood up and, and, uh, you know, just stone guys. So he can get on the field doing that. He can catch the ball. Uh, has incredible energy about him, which I'm sure the people in Houston are starting to realize right now. Um, you know, he was he was just all energy the whole time he was in Mobile. And then I went to Gainesville after this in uh, in March and spoke to the team there. Uh, and I asked some people in the building, I'm like, you know, uh, kind of explaining how Damien was down here all week, just his energy and his juice that he had. And I'm like, is, was he that guy here? Was he that guy every day? They're like, oh, man, that's him every day. Like, <laughs> He wasn't he wasn't putting on a show for you guys for that one week in Mobile. So, uh, no, I think uh, he, he probably slid a little bit just because he wasn't this, you know, full time starter and had whatever it was, 80 some carries there his last year. But um, I just kind of bring his story back to when Elvin Kamara came out of Tennessee um, and I was still working in Seattle at the time. And, and had, it was a, a huge Kamara fan. He's one of my favorite players that year. And, and he wasn't a starter at Tennessee. You know, he played behind Jalen Hurd and um, right. You know, it's just you, you got to look at the player. There's circumstances of why I got certain guys play over others in college. And and uh, sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, they're trying to keep one guy happy and they, they know the other guy will be uh, won't make waves as, in a backup role. So I don't know what it was at Florida. Um, I didn't concern myself with that. I knew he was good enough to come to Mobile for the senior bowl. So um, and again, I wasn't drafting the player to be to be in my building for four or five years. So we, we don't have to do quite the digging on the background as, as the <laughs> right. NFL teams do. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think if you let that take you, you know, distract you from what the tape said, I think you're, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm sure there's going to be some teams in hindsight now. Uh, if Damian ends up being the player that I think he'll become, I think there'll be some players, some teams kicking themselves for, you know, letting a guy that talented and tough and energetic get to the fourth round. I love that we're hearing a little bit of your board and how it varies so differently than what comes out in the mainstream media for years. I tell people, like, I haven't been in NFL front offices, but I could only assume no board, no two boards look the same. And what we're hearing from here, does yours vastly differ differ year to year from uh, what goes out in mainstream when you're seeing the consensus rankings? Uh 
I don't know about vastly, but it definitely differs. I mean, there's definitely a lot of players that were either higher or lower on. And, and again, it's, it's hard sometimes in the, in the mainstream media, uh, they don't have access to all the tape right. and resources that we do and, and have the relationships we have. So, uh, again, they, they have a really hard job to do. I, I would, <laughs> without having an NFL background, um, it would be tough just to, uh, you know, use the resources they have and, and try to grade right. these players. So no, taking no shots on them. They have, they have really difficult. No, time. no. Yeah. No, 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 no shots implied on that. Just the, uh, I just like the beauty and the eye of beholder of it, where I imagine that no, not every front office is the same, but moving on, getting back through these offensive players, there's two guys, one drafted highly in the first round, one undrafted that will be blocking for Damian Pierce, who we just discussed. The first one, uh, first round pick, obviously Kenyon Green, but a guy that's really caught my interest here of late is a undrafted fullback named Troy Harrison. Can you tell us a little bit about what you, what you saw from those guys? Yeah, we like Troy Harrison last year. You know, we only invite two fullbacks to the game. That's that's usually a pretty hard position to find. Um, you know, guys that'll that'll play at the next level. There's there's so few teams that really use a fullback. But uh, no, we like Troy a lot. He was a really hard charging, physical, relentless football player. You know, is is a defensive undersized defensive end edge player at Central Michigan, uh, which ironically is where my I've got roots there. My dad graduated from Central Michigan, but. Uh, you know, we watched a lot of CMU tape every year. We always do. We had, we had two other offensive linemen in our game that, that went on the, on day two. Uh, Luke Gadecki went to the Bucks in the second round and, uh, Bernard Raymond went to the Colts, I believe in the third round. So, um, but yeah, we watched Troy and, uh, you know, you love how he played. You loved his play style. He was relentless. He was phys- like an innately physical guy at the point of attack. Uh, he liked contact. So, and then with his body type, you knew he wasn't going to be a, a defensive end. You'd get swallowed up down there at the next level. So sure. yeah, you, you had to put him somewhere in the way he ran and chased and you, you figured he'd be a good special teams player. Um, he, he, he definitely could do that. And then, uh, you know, as the fullback stuff, I believe we went back in his history and, and, and he thought he did some stuff in high school, but yeah, we had him on the board as a full fullback. So uh, pretty cool that the, the Houston Texans saw him similarly. Oh, that's awesome to hear. And Kenyon Green, uh, haven't been able to see a lot of them in camp, but when he gets in there, you expect, I mean, Justin McCray, Max Sharpen are repping that one squad there at left guard. You expect them to uh, quickly be able to, when he gets to condition and everything coming back from this in- injury worked out, expect him to be a starter rather quickly or what can te- Texans fans expect from him? Yeah, I would certainly think so. He's, he's a really good football player. I mean, he's big, he plays square. Um, you can run behind the guy. He's got surprising mobility for a guy that size and that with that much power, um, he can move people and then he can anchor the pocket. So, um, in pass protection. So no, he's a, he's a guy that when you watched him, he looked like he was going to be a rookie starter. So I think it's just a matter of time when he gets back healthy. All right, I I gotta let you go. We're running out of time here, so I just want to throw you these three defensive players taken in the first, second, and third round. Uh, if you can just give me some cliff notes on what you saw from them and your expectations. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., Jalen Petrie, and Christian Harris. What 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 did Lovey Smith add to the three levels of his defense there? Yeah, Stingley's uh, ultra talented kid. I've uh, been watching him since his freshman year. I was actually at the Alabama game where uh, his that national championship year where he kind of stood out. Uh, to me physically that night and again you know the, his last couple of years there uh, you know head injury issues missed a bunch of ball um, would probably uh, give you reservations on taking a guy up that high but credit to Houston for 
for taking a shot on the talent. I was at the pro day and watched him run four, three, seven, um, mm. and jump and do all that stuff. Had a great position workout. And I know I, I was, uh, with one of the representatives from the Texans there watching that workout. So, uh, I knew they had some interest and, uh, so really talented guy. He's the number one corner. If he's healthy, uh, Jalen Petrie, we had in the senior bowl, one of my favorite players in last year's draft period, uh, regardless of position, nice. just an, an energizer bunny, um, plays with incredible urgency instinctive um played a lot of like nickel for them at baylor but he can play deep he's got enough range to play back there he did some good things in man coverage here in mobile that showed a lot of versatility that you didn't see on tape in baylor um so i think he's going to be a captain there and in a, a long time stud of that program uh and then christian harris is a, is a guy again saw a lot of, saw him play a lot of ball for the tide uh, being here in the state, ultra athletic guy can run and hit and chase. Uh, again, another high ceiling athlete, high ceiling player. Uh, with those three guys, I think I think they're all going to end up being real big hits for them. Awesome stuff, as always. You can find them on Twitter, Jim. Let them know. Uh, I know you mentioned you got the 2023 Senior Bowl watch list dropping tomorrow. What else um, do you have coming out? And if they're not already following you on uh, social media, where where can they find your content at? Yeah, you can just follow us on uh, – we do everything on Twitter. Uh, we live on Twitter, Senior Bowl Twitter. My Twitter is Jim Nagy underscore SB. Uh, I'm probably on there way more than my, my wife and kids <laughs> want me to be. But, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be dropping the watch list tomorrow. Uh, and then we, we'll be out of game starting on Saturday. We've got – like I said, we've got nine, nine former NFL scouts on our staff. We'll be posting videos from pregame down on the field all season long to show uh, – show fans kind of an up-close view. If they want to go back and look at this Texans uh, Texans roster over the last two, three years, all you got to do is Google uh, my Twitter handle and the player's name, and those videos from pregame will probably pop up, give you a nice, oh, up, nice. Uh, up-close look at those guys. Uh, that is awesome stuff. Great stuff as always. Check them out, Jim Nagy. Thank you for uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, he's going to let you go on your way. That's Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, 18-year NFL scout, breaking down the Texans players from last year and this year's draft. Just a wealth of information. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Jason. All right. Just awesome, awesome information from Jim Nagy on the Texans rookies this year, what they saw pre-draft and also the second year guys as well. And what he thinks, um, what what the expectation are for these guys going forward. So, I mean, I appreciate Jim Nagy being so uh, willing with his time there to give us a personalization on these young players here in Houston. We got one more segment left in the show before we get to that. Let's hear a quick word from Inside Edge. For our listeners looking for an extra edge, we are excited to share a tool with you that our team uses here at the Houston Football Show. My Inside Edge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can access for free matchup specific insights and projections to help make informed bets and build winning fantasy lineups. The insights are endless. You'll have access to game matchup notes, player props, leaderboards, player ratings, and much more. The real goldmine, though, is Inside Edge's five-star picks. During the 2021 NFL season, their five-star picks were wildly successful. They were 34-14 and 14 against the spread, a 70.8% success rate. 
Access to the five-star picks is only $20 per pick or get the deal of a lifetime every five-star pick for the entire year for just $149. What's more, our listeners can save 10% off this access by using code HOUSTON. That's code HOUSTON at Inside Edge. All right, back here on Houston Football Show, brought to you by Inside Edge. Last segment of the evening right now. We've got great information from Aaron Wilson, NFL insider for the Pro Football Network and also Texans insider locally here in Houston for KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790. Does great work. Also my co-host on the Houston Football Show. So you can hear us here every Tuesday at 8 p.m. And also, uh, we want to thank our guest for this evening, Jim Nagy, for coming on with the personalized uh, information there on the Houston Texans organization with those first and second year guys. Last uh, segment of the night tonight, I want to talk about the biggest positions that are, are the areas on the Texans that I feel like the Texans need to still acquire talent at. Now, we realize that the Texans aren't competing for a Super Bowl this year, but you still want to put that best foot forward, see what you have in all your players, uh, especially a Davis Mills prospect. And so with this, I looked over the roster, and even when you cut down to 53, I found four positions that I feel could really benefit from adding players, whether it's via waivers or maybe a trade or just a free agent signing uh, after they get cut or a street free agent, if the talent's there. Now, the first one's that left guard position. And you're probably saying, well, the Texans just used the first round pick on Kenyon Green. That, that's true. And as we talked with Aaron earlier, we talked about him getting into this last preseason game, getting some uh, live reps, and hopefully I'd like to see some bumpers, even if it's not the whole one unit, that they get at least a series with Laramie Tonso and Justin Britt next to him. So he gets comfortable of being in that phone booth with those bumpers being Tonsil and Britt and understanding how they play, them understanding how he plays and being able to uh, know where they need to pick him up in his game. And then also we talked talked about the that 17-day window, two and a half weeks after the last preseason game this Thursday, and then the first game, I, I want to say September 11th, 21, 21st anniversary of the sad events that happened on September 11th. I believe that's the date of the Texans' first game against the Colts, if I'm not mistaken. Well, if they fear like Kenyon Green will not be ready week one, and if he's ready week two, yeah, that's fine. I mean, uh, similar. But if you're talking about Kenyon Green might not be ready for the first quarter of the season, you need to go out and add left guard. Now, you don't have to break the bank for this. Some vet, one-year stopgap guy, somebody that's better than Justin McGray, McCray, Max Sharping, and Scott Quesenberry, because that's been brutal to watch. Again, if Kenyon Green, you tell me that they think he'll be ready by week one to be the starter, week two to be the starter, maybe even week three, like, okay, roll with what you got, what you got with Kenyon Green and the depth of probably Justin McCray and Scott Quesenberry. But if you think it's going to be longer than the, uh, the let's say, the third week of the regular season and Kenyon Green's not up to speed, then at that point, you need to get a left guard that's going to come out and play these first couple of games because McCray and Max Sharping have been a Jenga block of that offensive line. I like what I've seen from Can. I love the tackles of Tunsil and Titus. And Britt, when he's healthy and out there, um, can really solidify the middle of that offensive line and interior and be that uh, vocal vet out there. 
But McCray and Sharpings, that Jenga block, if if you can't get better play from um, the left guard position than one of those vets and what we've seen from them early on, then the entire offensive line collapse. There's you got to look at an offensive line and the five offensive uh, line players like five fingers. You take your you take your five fingers, you put them together, and you got a fist. That's an awful you know awful powerful punch. But you take one of those fingers out and just try to punch with your other fingers. There, there's no velocity. There's no strength. There's no continuity there. So maybe it's a, a odd. Um, analogy, <laughs> but uh, hopefully it paints a mental, a uh, visual image for you. And I think that left guard position, that's how serious it is. I think that's the biggest concern with the team right now is left guard going into week one, because we don't know what Kenyon Green is going to be and where he's going to be at, at the start of the season. But I think we've got a pretty good feeling of who Justin McCray and Max Sharping is. All right, the next one's that blocking tight end. Yeah, maybe Anthony uh, Claire is ready uh, there at the start of the season. Maybe he misses some time. Not sure where he's at because we haven't, still haven't been able to see him practice. Again, we're still about three weeks out from the start of the season. That being said, Pharaoh Brown's not not in team. Tegan's not in team. So that leaves you Brevin Jordan, Mason Shrek, Seth Green. That gives you zero confidence um, when you have a guy like if you're uh, a hamstring injury, a stub toe, whatever it may be from Pharaoh Brown missing a game and one of those guys having to go in an inline block that completely limits your offense. You can't be that, you know, you can't be that far away. So a blocking tight end is definitely something they'll need to go out and add. Unless again, you know, I'll say the same thing I said with if Kenyon Green's ready by week one, I'll say it with uh, Auclair. If you tell me the Auclair injury, he's back by week one, week two, but I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is on that injury. And so I believe, um, I believe it's probably a good bit out because we saw the information that we know. We saw the Adam Shaheen trade uh, where the failed physical led to that being voided, but they saw the need for it there uh, leading to the belief that our Claire is probably not going to be ready at the start of the season. How long is he out for? We'll decide the need for that blocking tight end. That's, but that, I'll put that as the second one on this list behind left guard of my concerns going into the year and um, the positions that they really need to add a talent that can come in and uh, give you, give you some starting ability there in case a Pharaoh Brown goes down or if a Kenyon Green's not ready at that left guard and block and tight end position. Next is running back. You're like, well, Damon Pierce is a rookie. He looks amazing. All right. So what happens if something knock on wood? Uh, it's the NFL. What if something happens to Damian Pierce? What if he misses time? Uh, we're talking about Marlon Mack, Rex Burkhead, Dare. Like, uh, if that's your second option before you even get to week one, you have no second option. So 100% the Texans have to go out and add, a bot, uh, add another running back. Uh, I don't think Marlon Mack is secure in his roster spot. They love Rex Burkhead, or I'd say I wouldn't be um, positive that he should be secure in his roster spot. But I think Burkhead is secure. He's a dominant short yardage back. Uh, they trust him. They love him in the building. Uh, Burkhead's that guy for those roles behind Damian Pierce. But you need that other guy that can give you some of what Pierce Pierce can give you, give you some of the stuff Pierce can't, uh, doesn't have the upside, obviously, potential of Pierce, but um, 
has the ability in case he needs to become the guy. The Texans don't have a running back on the roster. If Pierce misses time, that can be the guy. So they 100% absolutely have to add a running back with that type of talent before the start of a 17-game NFL regular season. Lastly's wide receiver position. They've got vets. They've got they've got some young guys that um, you know, are intriguing in Jalen Camp and Connor Weddington and Johnny Johnson III. But Lovey talked about a 70-man uh, roster today. And what he was talking about was the 53-man roster, the new 16-man practice squad, and also the exemption you get on the practice squad for a 17th player if you have an international player, which they do. So that's 53 and 17, 70 players. And that's what he's talking about, the 70-man roster. Well, they're at 80 players now. There's truly only 10 more players they have to cut, but let's factor in another five that they go out and do a trade, a waiver wire claim going into the start of the season. There's, you know, there's probably only 15 players on this roster right now that won't be on this team in some form uh, when the season begins. So there's not a lot of players they have to move. But um, and, and the reason because of that is also with those 16 player practice squads, what they allow you to do with those players, you can take a player up. So let's say Jalen Camp is the six-wide receiver, but he's not on the active roster. He's just considered that six-wide receiver on the practice squad. Well, come game day, the Texans can move Jalen Camp up to the active roster three different times for three different games, and he not count as the 53 uh, on the fifth, against the 53-man roster. So you basically still have Camp on the active roster uh, for at least three games, and then Weddington for some games. So you start to see how advantageous it is and why Lovey Smith and Nick Casario are spending so much time building what they call a 70-man roster. But that wide receiver position, yes, you have the young guys you can stash on the practice squad. You can call up on game day a couple, uh, a few times as well for added depth. And then you have the vets they like in um, Brandon Cooks. Uh, obviously, you got the second-year guy, Nico Collins, they love, and then the other vets and Chris Conley, Chris Moore, and Philip Dorsett, whatever order you want to put them in. Conley's more of a smart depth piece that knows how to rep the X, the Y, or the Z. If somebody goes down, he can step in, and uh, you you can d- rely on him and be dependable, but he's not going to give you that upside uh, as a receiving threat. Uh, Philip Dorsett, He's obviously safe. He gives you that speed element that this, you know, Pep in this offense really loves. Uh, can also do some things that Brandon Cooks does if Cooks was to miss sometimes. And then you've got uh, – so that comes down to, you know, Chris Moore, who's probably in the mix there for that slot receiver, that number three role split in time with Philip Dorsett. And then Conley. Well, if Conley, I, I would probably say, is your fifth wide receiver. And they like these vet guys, but I think they need a talent boost. Like, they need – need uh bring in another guy uh rookie that gets cut second year third year guy a guy that's been in the league one to three years that maybe has been buried on a depth chart uh didn't show well as a rookie needed to catch up or develop more on on a roster they need to bring in one of those guys with upside that can give you more than a chris conley as your fifth wide receiver or maybe even if you keep conley to bring him on as that sixth wide receiver now say all that to say this as we end the show you may have noticed all four of those positions are on the offensive side of the ball so 
you know, left guard blocking tight end, running back wide receiver. And so what it tells us is that as we go into this season, uh, we talk about all the depth and all that depth for the most part is on the defensive side of the ball. The offense will have struggles this year. You just want to see Damian Pierce shine, the development of Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins, and Davis Mills in year two. I don't think that's too much to ask for, but I think that's where you need to set your expectations. Don't set it on, can Davis Mills be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL? You don't need to see that yet. You need to see enough that he can be a franchise quarterback and whether you uh, or whether he's not that guy and you need to use uh, – that collateral you have, those two first-round picks in 2023 to get the quarterback of the future. But right now it's about finding out who Davis Mills is, and there's still a lot of questions on this offense and some holes and some issues, especially when we talk about the longevity of a 17-game season that they need to plug uh, in the next three weeks before they kick off the season. All right, for Jonathan Danger Cole, Mark Lawson, my co-host Aaron Wilson and myself, Jason Braddock, we want to thank Jim Nagy for coming on as our special guest this evening. And we want to thank all of you for uh, with y'all. We can't continue to grow this product and build without the listeners and your support. So we hope you enjoy it. And we thank you for taking the time out to listen and share it. Share it. Tell your friends and family about it. If they're Texans fans, Houston fans, or just football lovers, uh, spread the word. Continue to uh, check out our sponsors, Inside Edge. Remarkable brought to you by Inside Edge. And we want to thank our sponsors and the people that we're bringing on this year. We got a great season plan when the regular season kicks off in three weeks. We'll continue to come back every Tuesday, though, and give you the breakdown of your Houston Texans roster year-round, once a week, right here on the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Inside Edge. Thank you for listening to the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Inside Edge.